and you may be seated. He has come, and He shall come again. Are you ready for that? We're continuing on in the passage that Corey preached from last week. I won't redo a lot of the work he did in that sermon last week about Herod and other things, so I'll refer you back to his sermon We're going to pick up with verses 13 to 18 today, but I'm going to read the whole chapter just to place it in in context for us. Read 1 through 23. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. This is the Word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent, to, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Notice how crafty he is. Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was fulfilled. This Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, one of Herod's sons, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, up north by the Sea of Galilee. 
And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We need your spirit to apply your word to our hearts. Whether we know you in salvation or we do not. We pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work as your word goes forth. Convert the lost, Lord. Sanctify the saved. Heal the backslider. Humble the proud and encourage the weak. Strengthen the confused. You do what you know is necessary in each individual heart as your word goes forth. We entrust it to you. Lord, help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear it as your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to rightly understand it and go away living in its light. To go away from here more glorifying and enjoying you because of your grace to us in Christ Jesus. So we pray for it. We trust for it, knowing it to be your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Santa baby, I want a yacht. And really, that's not a lot. Been an angel all year. Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa honey, one little thing I really need. The deed to a platinum mine. Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Next year I could be just as good if you check off my Christmas list. Santa Baby by Eartha Kitt from 1953. Yes, kids, way before there was even an internet. But isn't that kind of the way people treat Jesus a lot of times. Everybody loves a Santa Jesus, don't they? Everybody loves one who, yes, maybe threatens cold, maybe threatens judgment, but in the end gives us what we want. We will promise to be good to get what we want, won't we? We want a God that will, according to the song, check off our Christmas list slash leave us in charge. One who will give us heaven, yet require nothing of us. But Santa Jesus, I hate to break it to you, is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is King Jesus. And King Jesus comes to be preeminent. First, the one who sets the agenda. The one who shapes our lives by his commandments. The one who calls all to repentance and faith and following him. See, the world hates this Jesus. Because he calls out sin and demands repentance. The world loves a Santa Jesus. But hates the real Jesus. And that is typified by Herod that we see in this passage. Matthew Henry said, Christ is hated because sin is loved. And when you see hated there, don't think of a feeling. When we, when we, in the West, we talk about hate and love and we think about how we feel towards someone. 
But to love God, Scripture says, to love God is to keep His commandments with joy. To hate Him is to reject His commandments and go our own way. And listen, I have the advantage. There's a lot of disadvantages to being converted later in life. But one advantage I have of being 26 years old when I was converted is I remember that. I would talk about being saved someday, but I didn't want Christ in my life then because I knew that He would want me to change the way I was living. I loved my sin, so I rejected Christ. And that's what we see in Herod in this passage. He is turf protecting. He's, he's, he's got his arms around his little kingdom. He doesn't want anything to interrupt that. Lost people recoil at the idea of submission to Jesus' rule. I mean, this attitude is expressed in the parable of the ten miners. You see it in Luke nineteen fourteen. We do not want this man to rule over us. We will let this man save us. We will let him promise us heaven. But we don't want him to rule over us unless our heart has been changed. And again, we see this typified in Herod today. His reaction to the news of the birth of the Messiah, instead of being joy that the king of the Jews had been born, the one they had hoped for forever, his response was to commit mass murder and try to kill him. So today is the third message in our series of of no, No Ordinary Birth. We started with No Ordinary Child, and then we looked at No Ordinary Announcement. Corey did No Ordinary Worth last time, uh, and this is No Ordinary Reaction. And that's a little bit of a misname of this sermon, because while it is, we see it as No Ordinary Action, the way he reacted. In one sense, it is the way every person reacts, apart from the grace of God. Not, we're not all murderers, okay, but we have those seeds in our heart. The rejection of Christ is what I'm talking about there. So the main point today as we look at verses 13 to 18 is beware. Beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that rejects the rule of King Jesus. Beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that rejects the rule of King Jesus. It's really what this is. A negative example is a rejection of that rule in Herod. But the first point, look at the angel's timely warning. And Joseph, is, he, he struggled over the virgin birth. He was going to divorce Mary, which would have to take place to, to end the betrothal. And the angel came to him and comforted him and told him that the child would be, was from the Lord and, and he submitted. Well, he's familiar. It's probably the same angel. I'm guessing we're not told, but it probably is. He said, now when, when they had departed, who? The, the wise men. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Notice how God knows what Herod's going to do before Herod does that. And he sent an angel to Joseph to reveal that to him so that he will protect Mary and Jesus, the the Messiah, the Christ, when you see Christ, Messiah, same thing. Messiah, Mashiach, Hebrew, Christ, Christos, Greek. Tells him to take him to Egypt. He, I mean, read Psalm 139. God knows our thoughts before we think them, our words before we say them, our deeds before we do them. There's nowhere we can hide from him. 
All of our days were written in this book. It's all there. Go, I'll let you read Psalm 139. But the angel comes and tells Joseph what's about to happen. And he, and, he, and he tells him, he commands him. Notice the structure there. He doesn't say, Joseph, if you think it would be the right thing to do, if you think it would be a good idea, maybe you want to think about moving out of here. No, he commands him, get up. That word rise. Get up. Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod, Herod the Great, is about to search for the child to destroy him. Amazing. Amazing. Now look, look at this, verse 14. Joseph pondered it for a while and thought about whether that was the pizza he ate or whether that was a good idea of what, what that he should do. No, look at it. He rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So he, he gets the news, he believes the news, just like he did when the angel comforted him about the virgin birth and Mary's child uh, earlier in, in Matthew. He believes him and he doesn't waste any time. He's like, thank you, I appreciate it. Whatever we can grab, we're grabbing, and we are out of here. So he immediately obeyed, and God's at work in all of that, protecting his son. He, he's the savior of the world. No man can defeat God's plan. And look at, look at the last part of verse 15. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. I'm not getting into a lot of controversy about that verse and how that is a fulfillment and whether it's typology and all that this morning. Bottom line, what Matthew says, this fulfilled that verse. We're going with that this morning. What does this mean, though? How, I mean, think about that. God, this fulfilled one of those verses in the Old Covenant. About his son. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Listen, we know this, and we've talked about this before, that God is in control. God does whatever he pleases. He says that he will accomplish all of his counsel. Nothing he has planned will fail. And this prophecy, again, just shows us and reminds us that God will accomplish all of his purpose. Man cannot stand in the way. We are not ultimately in control. He is in control. It doesn't justify any of our bad choices or any of our sins or anything. God's not the author of sin. He doesn't violate the will. We are responsible for our choices. But he will accomplish his purpose. And he's taking steps to direct Joseph and Mary in the protection of Christ so that he will accomplish his mission of accomplishing redemption for his people. So Joseph is warned. He's told to go. He's told to take the child and his mother and flee. And he does that. And then Matthew adds and just points out that this was a fulfillment of what God had said all along would happen. Now look secondly at the king's irrational reaction. His irrational reaction in 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. You know, that word for furious right there means extremely angry to the point of not thinking clearly. Be careful 
when your temper flares. You will do things you will regret if you act out of that. Temper tends to make one lose control if we're not careful. I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. I lived with that. I have to fight against that. But my dad was one of the most volatile people I have ever seen. A lion in defense of his family. But boy, if you made him mad, he'd just see red. And say and do things that he would never do otherwise. He threw a dumbbell that weighed about 20 pounds at my brother's head. Thankfully, Steve was a little quicker and ducked and it went through the wall instead of his head. But Herod is furious. Why is he furious? He's got a plan. He's been working on this plan. Why do you think he, 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 he wanted to know when the star appeared? And why do you think he wanted the wise men to go find this baby and bring back word as to exactly where he was? It wasn't. He said he was wanting to go worship him, but that's not true. Herod was wanting to kill him. Because Herod was wanting to protect his kingdom. He saw himself as the king of the Jews, though he was just a puppet king of the Roman Empire. But he had a little territory where he could do his little things. And he was going to, he'd been king for some 30 years up to this. He's an older guy. He's set in, he's going to protect it. And he's very mad and he's going to make a dumb decision. But he was furious. He was enraged. His plan wasn't working. The wise man didn't come back and tell him where the Messiah was. They were supposed to be his pawn to locate the Messiah. And they had deceived him. He doesn't know that the angel told him to go. All he knows is that he, he gave them an assignment. They didn't keep it. And they're gone. And he is ticked. So look, he takes matters into his own hands. He sent... Verse 16, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region that were two years old or older. Now, why did he pick that age? Look, this is what it says. According to the time when he had ascertained from the wise men. So just refer you back to Corey's sermon last week. But if you do a nativity scene, if you put your nativity scene here in Swansboro, you should probably put the wise men in South Carolina. They were not there at the manger. They were later gone to the house where he was. Right? So, but, but Herod uh, and talked to them, learned a time when they first saw the star, and then added to that a bit to make sure that he could send his soldiers to that region and wipe out this one who would threaten his kingdom. We don't know how many uh, male children were killed. Some people guess very low. Some guess very high because we don't know how many. It doesn't matter because the point of this text is he was trying to wipe out the Messiah. So he sent soldiers to take these children out, hoping that in the process he would kill this one who was going to take his throne away from him. Just take a pause for just a minute. This world is a dangerous place for kids, isn't it? Not just in that time, and it was a dangerous place that time, but even in our time, it's it's a dangerous place even to be in the womb. Because when people's 
kingdom get threatened, they will do irrational things. I'm not saying all of it is that. To protect their way. I know uh, not all are this, but I know the vast majority of abortions are for convenience sake, no matter what people say. It's a dangerous place for children, and it was then. And Herod had no qualms about killing children to protect his kingdom. And he was so irrational that he thought he could kill the Messiah. He thought he could defeat God and keep his kingdom. Sin makes one that irrational. Uncontrolled anger makes one that irrational sometimes. He was jealous and afraid of losing his power. So he was willing to do this horrible deed to try and wipe out this one who would take over as king. I mean, an Old Testament example of that is King Saul, isn't it? Think about King Saul, who, who, and you can go read about King Saul in 1 Samuel, who was not faithful to God, who had his kingdom stripped away from him. Uh, Samuel told him about that before it was actually stripped away. David comes on the scene, and David is, is, is doing a lot of great things in the kingdom, and the people are praising David, and Saul gets jealous and tries to kill him many times. Tries to kill him. Tried to pin him to the wall with a spear one time. He was, why? He was jealous of David. Why did he want to kill him? Because he knew David was going to take his throne. He knew that. So he would become enraged by his jealousy and fear that he was going to lose his throne. Listen, Herod put Herod first. Saul put Saul, King Saul put Saul first. Just taking care of number one. It's most important that I keep control. I keep my little kingdom. I don't let anybody threaten my plans or my ways. How about a counterexample, though? How about John the Baptist? What was John the Baptist's attitude to the Messiah coming to the fore and being preeminent? He said this in John 3, 30 and 31. He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, that wasn't Herod's attitude, was it? It's not ours apart from grace. He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Christ there. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Talking about himself. He who comes from heaven is above all. He had joy because he saw the bridegroom coming. He was willing to hand off the bride to the bridegroom. It was his joy to see Christ elevated and him decrease and worship and follow Jesus because he knew who he was. John knew who he was and he knew who Christ was. So he was willing to not trust himself, but to trust him and follow him. Another prophecy fulfilled here. Verse 17. This was fulfilled. This, this then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud limitation. Rachel weeping for her children. But she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Even the hard things. Revealed. Prophesied. Showing that God's in control. 
Even the hard things. This is hard. This is hard stuff right here. Even the hard things are part of his plan. Now, he doesn't delight to hurt us or anything like that. He doesn't violate anybody's will. He's not the author of sin. But he's, he, he's always showing us exactly where we live and exactly how much we need him and exactly how great and glorious he is. See, God doesn't cause people to sin, but he can and does use their sin to accomplish his purpose. Listen to me. Wicked rulers do wicked things, and they are responsible for their wicked choices and will answer for them. But God, through it all, accomplishes his purpose, which is redemption. So I know that's a quick run through those verses, but... But how do we, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? How, how, how can this strengthen us this morning? I know it's not your typical Christmas message, but it will become that. We're getting to the gospel, so hang on. The first thing I just want to mention briefly is that in Jesus' life, as well as all things, all went according to plan. The Messiah was born and protected so that his mission of salvation could be completed. Acts 4, 27 to 28. For truly in this city, and the church is praying and, and they're crying out to God because they were under threat. And in verses 27 and 28, it says, Truly in this city were gathered together against your holy, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod. Now, this Herod is, is Herod the great son. Okay. It was raining when Christ was crucified. Your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. To, now watch this, verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So everything's happening according to plan. We know from Galatians 4 that Christ came in exactly the right time, in exactly the right way to redeem his people. In fulfillment of prophecy, protected therefore, and it was assured that he would die for his people's sin. Notice that the people of Israel succeeded where Herod the Great failed. They, with the help of the Romans, killed their own Messiah. And yet, that's what you see this Peter preaching this kind of thing openly in public sometimes, that you killed the author of life and then holding before them the opportunity for repentance and faith. But even though that's true, you can turn and you can trust in this Messiah. I mean, that's what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was, the, he was the church's greatest enemy. He was seeking to wipe out the church. He was killing people, thinking he was doing God's work until Christ revealed himself to him and he repented. What mercy for sinners. And it was all according to plan. But I used a key word there. Sinners. Christ came for sinners. And in one sense, I can look at you and say, you are a sinner. How do I know that? I don't peep in your windows. But I know that none of us has kept his law in thought, word, and deed. None of us has lived a perfectly righteous life, which would what it would take for us to make ourselves acceptable to God on our own efforts. But we have in this text, sinner, typified by Herod. 
So second point of application. Herod is not alone in his wicked rejection of Christ. Herod, maybe we think of Herod the Great as the Hitler of the day. Everybody loves to use Hitler as as the whipping boy, don't they? At least I'm not as bad as Hitler or your neighbor or whoever. But we are warned in Scripture not to judge ourselves by one another. You can always find somebody that externally looks like they're doing worse than you are. But when you compare yourself to the, to the law of God, that's, why, that's what's failed in the current church. And we need to know God's commandments so that we see how far short we fall, so that we own our need of a Savior. Herod was not alone in his rejection of Christ. None truly loved to have Christ as king. Notice the language. None truly loved to have Christ as king apart from grace. Anybody will love to have Christ as Savior apart from grace. Just leave me alone and let me go to heaven. And some preachers will help you do that, and they're lying to you when they do. But see, we want to look at Herod, and we want to look at all these other people, and we want to say, well, you know, I might be a little bad, but he was really bad. But what does Scripture say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just a few. So look at me. What I can say to you now, you have to own this, and the Spirit has to apply His Word so that you believe this. You are a sinner in need of mercy and grace from God. Because you haven't kept His law. You haven't loved Him. You haven't delighted in His glory. Nor have I, nor have any of us. We all need a Savior. Herod needed a Savior. He rejected Him. He tried to kill Him. Sadly, we know the rest of Herod the Great's life, he never repented. He was a very wicked man. I mean, at the end of his life, he was afraid people wouldn't mourn him. So he had a bunch of prominent men chosen that were supposed to be killed when he died so people would be sad. Now, people who, under him didn't follow through with those things when, when he died. But he, 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 he was a wicked man. No doubt about that, but he's not alone. We all are sinners and we all need a Savior. Listen, this is the message of Christmas. Christ wouldn't have to come if we could save ourselves. That's why there is a Christmas. That's why there is an incarnation. Look at this. I'll just remind you of a few verses. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I remember this well. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what Matthew Henry was talking about. In favor of unrighteousness holding down the truth so that I can pursue my own way and do what I think is best. Jesus pointed it out in John 3, 19 to 20. This is the judgment. Now watch this. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. See, when we're what the Scripture calls dead in sin, we are are the most important thing and pursuing our own way is the most important thing. And when the commandments of God threaten that, we, we push them away. We hold them down. We put them behind us so that we can keep going our own way. Jesus said that those who do wicked things won't come into the light. They're suppressing the truth, Paul says, in unrighteousness. Why do they do that? 
1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person. What is a natural person? I mean, in some sense, we're all natural people, right? But no, this is a merely natural person. This is a person who, he tells us what it is. They do not have the Spirit of God in them. The lost person. The way we're born, if you want to put it that way. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So not having the Spirit, you won't be able to understand the things of the Spirit. Not making it mystical, because the gospel is very clear and plain. But apart from his work in us, we cannot understand and apply it. Notice what he says. The natural person thinks the gospel, the things of the Spirit of God, the gospel, is foolishness. I've said this before, and I'll say it again this morning, that if you think the gospel is foolishness, that's bad news for you. Because God said that's exactly how you would think apart from the Spirit of God. That shows, again, that's another evidence of your need for repentance. See, all of us are born natural people. All of us are born suppressing the truth. All of us are born rejecting the light in favor of our own way, our own sin. So maybe, as I hinted at earlier, the title of this sermon should have been an ordinary reaction. Because everyone rejects the true Jesus apart from grace. King Saul did. King Herod did. Paul, Saul of Tarsus did. You do. If you don't know him. We need to be born again. We need to be born from above. We need a resurrection in our spirits. That's just a quick summary of what the scripture means when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you're saying, preacher, it's Christmas. I didn't come here for you to tell me how bad I am. But if I don't tell you how bad you are, you won't understand Christmas. You'll go away worshiping Santa Jesus, and he's not real. King Jesus is the real Jesus. Here's the good news. And see... The gospel is only good news if you've gotten the bad news. If you've seen, have you ever come to the place in your life where you see, I am justly under condemnation from God. God should reject me. He should condemn me because I have broken his law. I am a sinner. I need mercy. Have you come to that place where in the parable of the tax collector and and the Pharisee, where the tax collector just wouldn't even look to heaven. He just said, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you've come to that place, then the gospel is the best news you will ever hear. I mean, that's true of you, whether you realize it or not. And it was true of me before I came to Christ. But that's why the gospel, that's why Christmas is such good news. That Jesus would come to save us. That the Son of God would take to himself a true human nature. Two natures in one person forever. To fulfill all righteousness. To die to pay the penalty for our sin and to be raised from the grave and offer us salvation as a free gift. See, there's the good news. We all need a merciful Savior, and there is one. He, he doesn't tell you, do your best, and I'll do the rest. You do 99%, and I'll, I'll, you do 1%, and I'll do the 99%. No, it's all or nothing. 
The Scripture says this is the gospel, the summary of it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And the resurrection is the best provable fact in history if you don't use double standards. If you treat it just as history, you'll see it's a reliable historical fact. And only the Spirit can convince you that you're truly a sinner who needs a Savior. I understand that. But the good news is that God sent His Son to save sinners. So if you're a sinner, He's the Savior. Look to Him. Mercy and grace is available as a free gift in Christ. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And we need to adopt that part. That's the bad news. That's the diagnosis. The, the great physician's diagnosis of our soul and our need is that we are sinners who need a Savior. The wages of sin is death. But... What's the rest of it? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God gives you eyes to see, you will not only see your need of mercy and your sinfulness, and, but you will see the mercy of God available in Christ and you will run to Him. Because only He can forgive you of all sin and cleanse your record. Only He can clothe you in His righteousness so that you are adopted in the family of God and have hope, not just for this life, but in the life to come. I waited so many years to come to Christ. Well, and that's from my perspective, okay? I get God's sovereignty. Because I thought it was for my fun. Because at, at, at having a dead heart, I was, thought I was having fun in sin until until he showed me the truth about that through his word. But coming to Christ and having a new heart, there is way more satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and enjoyment that lasts in him than I ever had before coming to him. God wants you to have joy. Joy to the world. (laughs) But he's kind enough to point you to the only fount of joy which is Himself. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and He rose the third day. And Paul says that's all according to the Scriptures. All prophesied in in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New. Kids, you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Really better translated, in this manner God loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him, two things, shall not perish, shall not have to answer for their own sins, but shall have eternal life because Christ has answered for their sins. So why did He come? He came to save sinners and He offers us that salvation as a free gift. Look at 1 Timothy. You know, the man I said was the arch enemy of the church who Christ had mercy on and converted. Look at 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ... Now, here's Christmas for you. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did He do it? To save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. And some of us might argue with him about that. No, Herod was not alone. Yes, we are all sinners who deserve condemnation. But God has provided a Savior. Christ, the Messiah. That's why He came. So, number three. Apply it. Repent and trust Christ. 
Turn from going your own way and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and pursuing sin, which will lead to your condemnation. Turn and receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your hope, as your King, which is what he is. John 1, 11 to 13, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Look, the Jews rejected him, even had him killed through the hands of the Romans. Said his blood be upon us and our children. They totally rejected him. And yet he was merciful to many, and there's coming a great revival of Jews. And what, I'm not getting back into our Roman study, but you can go listen to those. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, what does that mean? Who believed in his name, who trusted that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who lived for us, died for us, and was raised and offered salvation as a free gift. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, talking about being born again here, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So receive him as your Savior, and that will be the fulfillment of what you hope for in Christmas. Christ came to save sinners. God has given his Son to reconcile us to himself, that we might be redeemed, yeah, that we might be justified, forgiven for all sin, pardoned for all of our sin, and accepted as righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed through faith, that we might be sanctified, which is being grown in grace. See, that's another thing. I'm getting sidetracked here. That's another thing people who don't believe in Christ do. They'll point at some of the failures in the Christian's life and say, See? See? Well, everybody knows that. None of us have been glorified yet. Hopefully, if we know Jesus, we're growing in grace. You can nitpick if you want to. But if, it's, if, you, if you're a child of God, before the throne of God, your record is one of being forgiven and cleansed and clothed in his righteousness. His righteousness is your record. And what you need to do is stop looking at Christians. Yeah, they're hypocrites in the church, and there's always room for one more, so come on in. What you need to start doing is looking at Jesus. Because he's the one that decides the story. And turn to him and trust in him. I lovingly plead with you. Because Christ is serious. God is serious about his salvation. Look what he said. Look what Paul said in Acts chapter 17, 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But look. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why does he do that? Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The proof of all proofs is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proving him to be the Son of God, the King of kings. The Lord of Lords. Think about the Hallelujah Chorus. The one who is coming again. The one to whom we will answer. God commands us to repent because He's given His Son and He takes that seriously. So turn and trust and find the true meaning of Christmas, which is Lord. Jesus was Lord at His birth. That Christ came to save sinners. And he does that through faith alone, giving that to us as a free gift. So turn and trust in him.
Let's go away looking to the real Jesus, not promising to be good so that he will, quote, check off our Christmas list, but loving him because of his grace and seeking to put him first and live for his glory because of his great love for us. We love him because he has first loved us. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, open eyes, open minds, open hearts, both to the need of a Savior and to the glory of the Savior that has been provided, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, just again, strengthen and fortify us in the fact that you take the same sinners and you justify us through faith and even the faith you give us. You are sanctifying us and you will complete that work in glorifying us. When you return, we will be like you and dwell with you forever and the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, help Help people, some, some who are listening over the live stream maybe or maybe even in this room who are kind of stiff-arming you right now. Kind of like Herod. No, I don't, I don't have anything to do with that. We, I don't believe that and it makes me mad or whatever. Just give us the, the ability to just to look into your word, to read the Gospel of John, see whether these things are so. those of us who do know you, may we may this increase our passion for you. Both to live for your glory, to please you and enjoy you because of our grace. Fill us with joy because our Savior has come to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, to, to ascend to reign for us and who is coming again someday. Help us in the light of that to be able to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, to rejoice when we're persecuted, to even rejoice in our sufferings. No, we won't understand everything. But just to commit all these things and ourselves to you and know that you do. The one who has written our days down before there was one, the one who has sent his son to live, die, and be raised and reign for us. On this Christmas day, this is Christmas Eve, but this Christmas, Lord, may some come to true faith in you and may the rest of us grow in that true faith in you. Thank you for the indescribable gift of your Son. Thank you for hope for weak, needy sinners such as we that we can cry out to you and find mercy and help in our time of need. We give you all the praise. 